live from the internet, it's the Local Host Podcast with Mark Drew and Rob Dudley. Hello from the internet. Welcome to the Local Host podcast. This is uh, episode two. We're your guides to various aspects of the lovely world of web development, and every month we get together and discuss an aspect of web development. We shall try to unwrap the subject using questions sent by you, the listener. That's right, we'll be answering your questions every month. Don't forget you can contact us via the Twitter on at localhost.fm or email your questions directly to show at localhost.fm. I'm Rob Dudley and stepping up to the challenge to answer these questions with me is Mark Drew. Hello! Mark, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm speaking over you again. Uh, I shall try not to make that a uh, habit again, but uh, (laughs) how are you doing? I'm I'm really good, really good. Um, So what are we talking about this week? Well, this week is Magnum PI. No. CI. Actually, they should Magnum do a project. CI. Magnum CI. They should do a, we're talking about continuous integration, aren't we? Continually. Which is continually integrating everything, which is an interesting subject that we do every day, or do we do it every day? I think that's the thing that we should explore, whether how much we should do it and whether WSFTP is your favorite FTP program and that's all you need. Okay. Do you remember WSFTP? Um, vaguely. It's the 90s striking back. I'll... I'll... I'll be honest, I I, um, have had a transmit license since, I think, version 2. And until very recently, it has been my preferred file transfer client. Um, It's been usurped by Cyberduck, mostly because the guys at Panic haven't fixed their um, S3 integration. So you can't actually use transmit with S3 anymore. um, I was quite shocked that Cyberduck, Cyberduck actually did that. Uh, went into S3. I think this was one of my because I had been using it for a long time, probably like yourself. And then all of a sudden, it was uh, oh, what's this S3 AWS thing? And you could actually <laughs> just upload it with with Cyberduck rather than using some kind of API or something like that. Yeah, um, which is kind of cool. But as I say, Transmit remains my my go to. But of course, we don't FTP anymore, right? Yeah, the days of FTP to deploy, we shouldn't be doing that. But how do we do it? You have to get the files to the server somehow, so it has to be FTP, right? At least secure FTP. <laughs> no. At the end of the day, we've got to get the code from our desktop onto yeah. the server in a safe manner, right? And people have been trying to do that in various ways. And this is the idea of continuous integration, which is, well, let me rewind. How did we deploy, or how do a lot of people still deploy, I guess, which is it's hand-rolled. I mean, this is what we're talking about, containers last week and how they're kind of sheep rather than pets. But our deployments are like pets, right? Is we have this 40-point checklist that we have to make sure that, we, that we've done, that we've repointed, that we've done this. So it becomes an issue, a thing that you're doing, right? It becomes an event of releasing code to the world. And the bigger your app gets, the more of an issue that is, right? Well, this is it, because you'll make sure that you've um, wrapped all the files up, you've incremented all the version numbers, potentially you have to do um, kind of a recompile or a repackage. You've then got to deploy your source code, you've got to deploy changes to the database, you've got to make sure that all of that's in place. 
Um, potentially you're doing this over a cluster. Um, so you've got to do this two or three or n times. Um, and generally speaking, you do all of this kind of, um, for some reason, uh, on a Friday afternoon, um, <laughs> which basically means that you wake up in a cold sweat at pretty much 2 a.m. on Saturday morning, uh, you know, checking your phone, checking your, your, your pager, uh, making sure that everything's working. And if something doesn't, you've then got to dig out the previous version to roll it all back. Mm. Um, it's basically uh, a freaking nightmare. Yeah. And who wants? Is to... there a better way, Mark? There has uh, to be a better way. There has way. to be a better way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the king of of or the daddy of all of this that is the, or the gateway drug. I think is Jenkins. I think this has been the 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 game changer. That's what I think. I mean, it, it, I might be wrong uh, about this, but once you had some some process that gave you the ability to to check stuff out and then move it, as well as Ant. So I know I'm going a bit retro, but the whole point was that you got Jenkins, put an Ant build in there, and even though it was all designed for Java builds, you could actually do stuff like rsync, so you could move the, the code from your Jenkins server to your live server. Yeah. Um, and I think in terms of deployment tools, and let's let's take a, a little bit of a step back here, because fundamentally, um, CI is actually... It's, it's a glue, it's a binding uh, procedure and set of processes, but actually there are a lot of different tools that, that don't necessarily need to be in play, but probably should be. Um, you know, we've seen uh, deployment technology like Capistrano um, was really, really popular for a long time. We had and we had make files being used to kind of manage off some of this deployment pain. But what we didn't actually have was the, the final step, if you like. There was still, at some point, there was a click this is going out, this is this is going into the world, um, whether you were using Capistrano to do that or whatever. Um, so realistically, we then see um, a, a combination of different elements starting to work. So Capistrano stops pushing and starts actually using kind of a, a post commit on version control to say, actually, just give the server a nudge and it can go off and get the latest version. Um, we've also, of course, got the indomitable rise of, of test-driven. So we've now got quality control kind of happening automatically as part of this process. And then you get the magic gateway drug Jenkins, which says, you know what? Just let me kind of handle all of this for you in a nice, a nice easy package. You can figure me once and I'll take care of it from here. Right. And I've seen some awesome Jenkins pipelines in my time that do a whole bunch of stuff. For example, update all the clients, update all the different databases, uh, roll back if anything goes wrong. So that goes into another process and you can really do some magic with that. But does it get too complicated? I think there's other CI tools like Travis CI, which simplified a little bit. They say actually part of your code is you, you put in your build procedure as part of your code, right? So you put an actual file with it that then Travis can just go and look at the repo and go, all right, that's how you build it, right? Fine. I'll go off and do it. Which in a way you can with Jenkins and Ant, right? Yeah, I suppose it's with many uh, with any of these tools it's a question of the the power versus the flexibility versus the, i suppose the the minimum amount required of uh, the minimum amount of work required to actually get something up and running um and certainly in my experience with jenkins it requires maybe a little bit more engineering to get you up and running um but at the same time the end results are very much the same you can do equivalent um setups with both systems um, I mean, likewise, I've been using um, Circle CI on a project fairly recently, and again, okay. that's 
that's really kind of laid back, chilled out. It's got very, very sensible defaults, but the power and the flexibility is all there if you want to tweak them. It just speeds up that kind of on-ramp time. Um, I suppose one of the things that um, is quite important to me when we're talking about this stuff is I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. He's a really good, experienced developer, kind of more in the database side of things uh, than in pure application dev. Um, and he was saying, well, how do you get started? What are the prerequisites to doing continuous integration? Well, it's version control. I think this is always the first step, right? Is and, and the hardest. Good version control, right? It's got to be version control right. used right. You know, you can have um, subversion, shudder. Um, <laughs> Please. Well, I, I don't know why I, I've suddenly become such a subversion snob, by the way. Subversion served me very well for many, many years. So uh, my apologies to the subversion community. Um, but yeah, realistically, we're probably talking about something that has a solid branching model, so it's Git, right? Right. Um, and you need to make sure that you've got your branches set up correctly so that you can work safely on your project within this kind of structure. Uh, the, the, so, do you use Gitflow? I mean, this is I, the, I the do. de facto uh, flow, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I, can't, I haven't seen anything that replaces it. I think Gitflow is, uh, is the way to do it. I guess we should say what Gitflow is for people out there. Yeah, anybody who hasn't heard of this, um, uh, well, let's hope that you understand Git a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to just just tune out for the next you know, 30 seconds. Um, so uh, Gitflow is um, a standardization of how we manage branches within a software project. Um, you have your master branch, which um, is always, always, always ready for production. You have your develop branch, which is kind of your staging uh, branch. And your developers can basically spin off feature branches um, that come off the develop branch. Um, and work on new features, merge them back in. And then you can do other things like um, performing releases. So this basically merges develop back into master. It sets up a tag for you. Um, and because it's quite pragmatic, you do have things like hot fixes for emergency. Oh, shit, oh, shit, we've got to fix this thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of merges into both master and develop. But fundamentally, what you get is this solid structure that means that you can be working on the craziest teardown rebuild of your project ever in a, a feature branch. Develop is still usable for testing and staging, and master is always 100% clean, or should be, right. right? It should be. I mean, I think in most experiences, master has been what's deployed. I mean, the nice thing about that is also the tagging stuff. So you can actually, uh, Gitflow allows you to tag the master, saying like, this is the actual release. So that that when you uh, when it all goes wrong, as you alluded to, the master not being so clean, you can actually go to the previous tag, yeah, and say like, actually, we're going back, but the rest of our version control doesn't have to go back along with the release. You just know what's been released. You can move master back and uh, say that the rest keeps on going, and you can fix it. This is it. So um, what we end up with is a very sensible structure for managing our, our project's code and our project's, I suppose, state um, within its development lifecycle. And that's kind of the key foundation. If you try doing CI without something that is as robust as Gitflow, you're going to come unstuck. Right. I mean, otherwise... That said... <laughs> okay. You can. You don't have to use Gitflow, right? You can do this by hand. Uh, the reason that you know developers like Gitflow is it's a series of kind of extensions to native uh, Git functionality. There's it doesn't actually add anything particularly new. You're still just dealing with branches, you're merging and what have you. There's nothing to stop you doing that by hand if you want to. You can have develop branches, feature branches. You know, you can blast all this stuff, roll it together. You might be like, well, I actually it's just me. I don't need all of this power. But at the same time, it is it is so light. 
Um, it just stays out of the way. And honestly, once you've used it for a project, um, you are probably never, ever going to go back once mm. you get that first kind of that first hot fix through and realize that actually this hasn't messed up my development lifecycle. It's it's all completely fine. Um, so don't have to use Gitflow, but you do have to have a solid version control branching structure. Okay, so Jenkins, is that part of your live server? Is it another server? Do we have, I guess we have Jenkins servers, right? Yeah. Well, think of it this way. If we take the, this is my approach to it anyway. We take the standard kind of server setup. You might have your development machine or your development environment, possibly Docker, but let's not over-egg this just yet. Um, you'll normally have some kind of staging environment um, and you'll normally have a live environment. Um, and the idea being that you know, your staging environment can mirror the live environment very closely. It's running on the same kind of hardware in the same kind of data center. It's running the same kind of OS. So you've you've minimized all of those issues. This presumes that you're not using something that solves that for you, mm. <clears throat> Docker. Um, <laughs> we're not sponsored by Docker, by the way. We're, we're not. We should yeah, be, definitely, by the yeah. way. We've, we've given them serious props yeah. for the past month. Come on, guys. Show the love. Yeah, so we've got a staging environment. And... Realistically, you've got a couple of choices. You can run continuous integration at um, any two of those three points, or you can inject a fourth. You know, there are some people I know run this stuff purely locally. They have um, the um, system running on their, their dev machine. This is probably not a great idea, by the way, but you can do it. Um, and it kind of spins up, runs the test, and it's like, yay. Uh, and then it does the, the push release. Um, realistically, more commonly, what you'll find is an additional server or an additional environment creeps into the mix here. So um, we kind of have somewhere where we can stage the stuff and kick it around, but we also have the continuous integration environment, which is spinning up every time we make a commit, it's running all the various checks and tests, and in its simplest form, it is deploying the latest clean live version of your system. The reality is it's probably also deploying the latest clean development build of your system. Right. So, you know, if you've got this and you've gone to all the effort of configuring it, which isn't masses, but it's it's, yeah, it's some work, um, why why would you not have this also managing the state of your of your staging build um, and kind of handling deployments that way? So new commits go out to development, um, it runs the tests, it does whatever it needs to do, it, it does the asset pipeline manipulation and all of these other little crappy jobs that previously we just had to remember to do are done for you and it does that for staging and it does that for production of the master branch right i think that one of the, the core concepts here is that uh, i think we might have missed saying it is that deployments now become continuous in other words that they happen a lot more often they're not a they're not a big event you know you don't have a big bang deployment you have actually lots of stuff coming through so you don't have this is version one of the server this is version two of the website you now get like minor versions like so each tweak each feature makes it out a lot quicker and i think this makes for a better environment because you have a less to test so you have qa just working very quickly on on whatever you've just worked uh, on you know whichever feature you know the nice drop down or whatever and then you have your clients or you know your customers seeing that feature and you can introduce them to that small feature rather than here's a new website and here i have to give you a nice intro to the whole website says my dog in the background agreeing with yeah. me dogs do yeah. continuous integration by the way if, if you weren't aware of <laughs> all this dogs. all dogs all the time yeah um yeah, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is about reducing the gap between those releases. And in fact, 
depending on on how far down this road you go, it can be reducing the concept of release altogether. You know, you you do a feature, it's clean, it works, everything comes back green, it's released, and that just happens. Um, now that realistically might sound like a bit uh, of a daunting prospect for somebody who isn't doing this, um, but the reality is once you get it in, once you you develop that kind of trust in your own systems, in in your own testing. Um, it becomes incredibly liberating because it means that you know that this thing's clean. You know that it's just going to go straight out there. There's no waiting around for for the next release cycle. There's no issues of um, having to worry about um, kind of re- regression from other features as well because you're not worried that actually this change I'm making here might knock onto this change that I did two weeks ago that is still waiting in the release queue. So it kind of frees you up to be much more, dare I say, agile <laughs> in your approach to software I think it's development. Also brave as well, because you can see things breaking quicker, and 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 you don't f- yep. fear breaking stuff. And this is a, a big problem in some software pro- projects. That, okay, so we all have a hundred percent test coverage of our projects, right? But in case that one or two people out there don't have that, if it becomes such an issue that you can't do a build very easily to discover if your changes affect something else uh, because you just don't happen to have tests on it, which you should have tests for everything. Um, it's also finding out how you can be assured that, that your new feature is working, essentially, as it should. Well, yeah, this is get it out there. Um, get it out there quickly. Make sure that your monitoring's on point um, and fail fast, right? Um, you want to make sure that if you do have an issue, um, you're aware of it. But at the same time, it should be a small issue. It's a knock-on. If it's a if it is a bigger thing, and this is a little bit trickier to manage, you know, you need to make sure that this is not going to remove the need for you to actually test your code um, and understand what it is your code is doing. There are situations where actually pushing out an entire feature set just automatically may not be desirable. There might be projects that are a bit more critical or have QA requirements, mm-hmm. and that's completely fine. Um, CI still helps because it can actually manage that process of, of making sure those features make it out to the next stage. And That's a then, separate subject that we should hit on, actually, uh, m- maybe in a different podcast, and it's called uh, Feature Switches, which mm-hmm. there are Java projects oh, yeah. out there that allow you to put a put a feature out, but you don't only implement it. You only implement it when you've switched that switch, so to speak. This kind of thing sits alongside that. You have to have this um, this this trust in your your deployment pipeline to be able to run something like feature switches, which we can talk about a bit more later on potentially. Um, otherwise, you just end up with a whole bunch of feature switches, and then you're not too sure exactly which switches are doing what, and you've got this big ball of mud release again, which is not great. In terms of the other prerequisites, I mean, you talked about testing, and yes, of course, we all test. Um, so we have 100% test coverage. Uh, we've got our functional tests, um, which is all super shiny. One of the things I would say is that to those who are looking to start this process and don't necessarily have that level of test coverage, don't let that stop you, right? Maybe don't jump off uh, the cliff that is full automated deployments, but you can still uh, there's still stuff that you can test and run using a CI environment. There's still tasks that need to happen, and it will still save you time. 
So if you've got, say, asset pipeline pre-compilation that we talked about, you might have some kind of client-side build. You're running SaaS or post-CSS or, or a framework to manage your front end. That can all form part of your deployment. Also, you know, most languages come with a basic compiler or linter. Let's just check for syntax errors, for God's sake. Run the unit tests you've got if you have them. Uh, run the, the functional tests or the front-end Selenium tests if you've got them. But get this system in, and you'll start to see how it's going to make your life better, easier, and more productive. And realistically, it will give you the impetus to actually improve that test coverage. Um, because when you see that 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 kind of the the build goes green moment, you'll think, actually, I, I want more trust in that. I want to build on on that foundation of faith in my There's own There's a, a project that from the CFML world, and I'm, I'm going to have to shout now over my dogs uh, deciding to kill each other in the background, um, which has got the beautiful name of Cloudy with a Chance of Tests. Um, it was done by Mike Henke, and the great thing about it is that it's got a it's a build XML file that you can just chuck into your into your Jenkins build, and it for CFMLers. But I guess it, the 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 process is the same for any other project. Allows you to do a whole bunch of stuff like linting, like checking for variable overflows, checking that you've parammed your SQL, or checking like you've got like basically linting now. But it also this is way from way back. I say way back from about four years ago, and this was a great thing to to get started with. Just looking at all the different processes that are in here. So I'm going to just do an example. It cleans. In other words, it um, after you've done all your processing, you might want to get rid of your tests before you go to live. Right? There's this whole bunch of folders that you want to get rid of. Um, it cleans a workspace. Obviously, uh, you want to start with something clean. It removes documentation, for example. You know, you might have documentation in there for other developers, but you want to remove that. Uh, also, documentation in external projects, like if you're using CK Editor, right? Who isn't? I mean, I jest, but you know, if you're using CK Editor, there's always those PHP files, for example, that you might not be having a PHP project, so you don't need those as another vector of attack. So you can get your CI engine or your build project removing all that stuff that you need for development, but you definitely don't need for for going live, right? And it's got some scripts in there which were great, which were database creation and database updates. So what you could say is actually my database is at version 10, for example, just like you have a schema versioning, and it would only run the scripts from version 10 upwards, right? And if you're creating a new database, for whichever reason, you could have all the scripts that only run if this is the first time that it's run if there is no database. And a whole bunch of other processes. I mean, your the, the process would be different, but this is a great project. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes to get started with. Other things about continuous deployment that I think are, are really important uh, is playing the blame game. <laughs> so you got tests and they fail, then what? You do a deployment and it fails, then what? I think one of the big, you know, people start doing deployments and you get it onto the server and that's great. But that's always step one, is what happens when it fails, right? And one of the, the great articles is called Quantum of Deployment, which is a great title for an article. And this was done by the Etsy engineers. Uh, and they were deploying hundreds of times a day. So they had a whole bunch of developers working on it, and they kept on deploying stuff out. What they got to was a, a point where they were deploying you know, hundreds of times a day, and basically, they had canary situations. So you had this one feature going to this one server. They put some of its traffic to it. And if it 
passed the tests, they had the monitoring, as you say, it would then go into the cluster. And that that change would then deploy out until it stopped, and then they roll back. And they had this little machine, uh, not machine, this little script that they called the, I believe it's called the Deployinator. <laughs> had a great name. Yeah, it's Deployinator, which was part of their QA. So th this is back in 2010. So it's a great article to get started on understanding real CI in, in a real environment. And I'm sure there's loads of people there doing much bigger rolling deployments than, than we are. I believe Facebook does this weird... Um, single two gig binary deployment with BitTorrent. Um, which, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem that they had was, um, which we, we will have and I've encountered it, is that, okay, so if you're deploying, physically deploying to a server, what are you doing? You're changing a number of files. And if people are actively going to that server whilst those files are changing, what's going to happen? In, in CF, for example, if you hit a CFML template, it compiles down to Java. But what happens if that CFML template hasn't fully been written when the engine is asked to compile it? Right? You're going to get this weird error that then when you go and check what, what went wrong, it's not going to be there, right? Because the template's been written and you were getting errors. So you had failure of service, but it was a momentary lapse of reason on, on your machine's part. Right. This is inconsistent state of your application, right? You've got you know, some code that is has rolled on to the next release, some code is still behind on the previous release, and that will cause issues. Facebook's solution to this was actually bundling all up. It was one binary, whatever, a couple of gig, I think it was. We'll, we can check our facts later or not. Um, and actually what it did was deploy it using, using BitTorrent. So bits would spread very quickly across their cluster and only when everything got in there would the binary switch over and that's like a, a on-off switch from current to other one um, there is a product that i love that has got a feature to it which is awesome and that product is deploybot again we're not sponsored and we should we should be totally i should be wearing their t-shirt which i use all the time which is a super simple way to get into all of this what you what is based around this is this idea of repository. So you say, this is my repository, I'm going to deploy it. And you can add hundreds of servers to it. You can add production servers, you can add uh, staging and test servers or whatever you want. And it automatically deploys it there for you, right? What's interesting, they have this thing called Atomic FTP. So if you're deploying to an, uh, a Linux-based server, what they do is actually deploy to a folder, which is a version, until the deploy has finished, and then they symlink it to the current, and they do the swap. Exactly. So it's it's super great because you know for sure that only when all your changes have gone on will it then swap the code round. And this is to solve that that change. But it also means that you can very quickly go to your previous release. Yeah. Right. So it does. It checks out your whole changes, and then you can quickly go back to a previously released version of the site. But that's super quick. Rather than I now have to check out the previous version, it's literally just change the symlink, change the current to the previous one. Yeah, that is really, really cool. And it does speak, I suppose, volumes about the actual, once you start using this, you will run into consistency issues and what have you. But the benefit here is um, clever people have been working on this kind of stuff for a while. These are all solved problems. 
Um, and whether or not it's deploy bot or whether or not you roll your own kind of um, hot swapping, um, rolling deploys across clusters, whether or not you're using containers so you can just tear up, tear down, um, whether or not you're just deploying to something like um, Heroku is a really good example. You know, they they do all of this kind of you know project building on on their end. Um, they will not swap your application until that finishes clean. So you get this atomic release, which is exactly what we're talking about here. Um, but yeah, you need to be aware of it um, and and effectively be aware that if you are just allowing um, your, your continuous integration to effectively do a, a Git pull and then run some tasks, those tasks are going to take time. And if you do have a requirement for consistency, in your code throughout the release, you're going to run into problems unless you manage it. Right. But it's manageable. Two things. Uh, firstly, I found the uh, Facebook BitTorrent deploy system. It was a 1.5 okay. gig binary blob that they were kicking around. Sorry, I thought um, it was two. I was rounding up. It probably yeah. is now, right? You know, there's 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 a couple more cat gifs, a few more emojis. Yeah. Um, you know, they've they're, they're probably up to about two gig at this point. Um, also, if you're interested in in massive deployments and, and using uh, BitTorrent, have a look at Twitter um, right. because they do something very similar. But they actually use it more for um, to overcome um, you know networking issues as they run the deployment. So they feed it in, they seed it into one end of the network, and then it replicates out. Um, the other thing I'd say is you started talking about the blame game. Um, and this is quite interesting in terms of um, quality. And this is not so much continuous integration. This is more kind of the the psychology and I suppose the philosophy of good software development. Um, there's absolutely a need for anybody who breaks the build um, needs to be able to own up to it. They need to be able to see it, not so that we can blame them, right? Not so that we can, we can throw rotten fruit at them and what have you, um, but so effectively you can avoid it happening mm -hmm. again. But of course, in Git, it is called blame, right? It is. And I'll be honest, that's probably down to the fact that, you know, who wrote Git? Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's, he's, he's quite acerbic. Um, but the reality is what we're looking for here is not necessarily blame, but apportionment of responsibility to avoid repetition. Right. Um, if anybody's interested, uh, there is an amazing book um, called Black Box Thinking. Um, which talks exactly about this kind of process. And it's the difference between the way the uh, the example used is the way the aeronautic, uh, aeronautic industry um, avoids failure to the point where they don't fail in any meaningful sense, you know, in terms of you run the numbers, versus other similar complex industries. And actually, it's all about the really obvious things that we do. It's about taking responsibility. It's about making sure that you've noticed when the stuff has happened. So when we say you need blame, we don't necessarily mean blame. You need to be able to approve. As in pointing yeah, fingers. We need to be able to apportion uh, failure, but in a positive way. This is something I used to work with a guy called Sean Caulfield, and I managed to break the build. And this was, a, a, a to my credit, this was a difference between the... OSX and Linux file systems. So like it passed all the tests on my machine, but it failed on Linux, right? And I learned a lesson from that, right? It was like, and now I'm, um, I'm a bit anal about, about capitalization and things like that because of that. So this whole blaming thing, I, I broke the build. People got angry at me because I broke the build. I learned an error and I've never forgotten it, right? So this is a very good example of of improving as a person through failure. <laughs> At the same time, you know, um, I've worked in teams where realistically we have the 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 um, 
the cone of shame, the silly hat that gets proportioned to the team member who's who's broken the bill more times that week than the other. They're all good fun, and they kind of they 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 they, they I suppose keep you positive and on track, but never underestimate the the cultural impact of what we're trying to achieve here. It's about improvement, not necessarily about loser. Um, cool. Okay, so. Um, I was just going to interject. Uh, so that's still part of this blame and, and the, the the system working is this brings in the the whole idea of having a the a traffic cone system, like a physical. I think there was some. I can't remember the startup in San Francisco had a physical traffic light, uh, you know, like a, a three foot tall traffic light that they'd got from the from the council or whatever's equivalent in the United States, and they'd wired it up to Jenkins so that they could show you the state of the build. And it would look be a physical traffic light in in the studio as you were building stuff, which brings me on to Tim at uh, Catlight has created a product that does that, but a, but instead of being a physical traffic light because that could get a little bit annoying, goes into your status bar, and he contacts us about the, one of the typical problems is knowing who broke the build or the state of the build because unless you go to Jenkins or whatever your CI engine is, you don't know the status of the build unless you might get an email. For example, yeah, and we are covered in emails and Slack teams. Well, I think this is this is the thing is is um, I've not actually used Catlight, but I'm going to check it out. So um, um, because the one thing about CI is if it operates in a vacuum, it may as well not be there. You need to have visibility into what's going on, and that can be as simple as um, is it broken, is it not? You know, red and green, passing, failing. Um, realistically you also probably want to make sure this thing is broadcasting um into slack insert name of chat channel here this is exactly what um hubot was built to do by github uh, you know they've got this kind of framework that allows you to talk there's all sorts of bot frameworks right so what was a hubot hubot is github's bot framework um, okay. So it's designed to basically take messages from um, uh, an, an automated system and push them into something like Slack. There's a Slack connector. Oh, I see. Um, we- or push it out over XMPP, in, insert name of chat framework here. Right. I actually um, did that t- uh, yesterday. We had a hand-rolled integration uh, for some clients. There is lots of reasons that we could have, or and we don't have Jenkins running in there. It's actually a simple script that gets a post-event hook from Git that then deploys the code to the dev server, right? Yeah, nice and simple. And it's actually on the dev server. It calls itself and it just checks stuff out, right? Uh, the problem was is that I and it also clears the, the template cache. So if you have systems that that have template caching, mm-hmm. we would never know whether our part was actually deployed without having to RDP into that that server, look at the file, and even if the file was changed and actually committed we wouldn't know whether the template cache had been run, right? So now, after the, the the process, I actually get it to, and this is really simple, actually, in, in Slack, get it to send a message to Slack. It's just a simple payload. And I know that you do another podcast, don't you, you traitor? Um, I, I, I do. It's We're drunk and we know things <laughs> is, is the title, I believe. Yes. Um, um, it, it, it was originally going to be We Drink and We Know Things, but that one was taken um, by a Game of Thrones <laughs> podcast. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, the idea is that this is a, a friend of mine who knows a lot about movies and, and me who knows something about technology. And we basically get together, have a few beers and educate each other. Um, but yeah, the last episode was um, talking about um, bots and, and how those can kind of replace uh, various elements. But that was looking more at kind of the, the rise of the automated communication framework. I suppose in the context of CI, 
what we what we really need to make sure is that whether it's email, whether it's Slack, whether it's um, traffic lights, or better yet, all of those things, you need to be able to see what is happening um, in such a right. way that you can get the quick glimpse. Is it green? Great. Or you can do the the kind of actually I'm I need to monitor this because I know that I've got the whole team is working on a massive sprint. We've got a load of features coming out. Let's just see how this goes. Keep an eye on it. And from that from your your podcast, I was inspired to make sure that I am notified when things go right and also when they go wrong. Um which I, I've seen sysadmins machines and they get so many notifications. So I think you have to have a proper escalation. Up. Like if the test broke, okay, so inform the right person, the person that did the last check-in, for example, or or it runs mm-hmm. a blame on whatever the line of code that failed, for example. But if your deployment to live failed, I think the escalation has to be higher than uh, than just, yeah, you know, you should really look after this. It's, you know, klaxon should sound. Yeah, that's... That's pretty much the. Um, I've I've never actually been able to do it, but I've always got this dream that one day I will have the um, the techie kind of knock center, where when you get that kind of critical breaking failure, there will literally be orange lights start flashing, sirens start waiting, and steam starts getting ejected <laughs> from from cans that just contain steam. They're just there for, for the right. effect. But yeah, you so you turn your office into the set of Alien Covenant. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but only for those brief moments when everything goes horribly wrong i mean i have actually seen people do this where um and this is a genuine thing if you're using like um uh, iot you've got uh uh, these smart light bulbs like philips hue um oh right they do actually have this is really really cool they have these kind of um in their office and what have you and when the build breaks the entire room goes red um (laughs) that's that's horrific a little bit scary um but again it it it's about visibility. It's about making sure that you've got escalation. It's probably a bit extreme, although I quite like the the, the, the drama of it. Although you can imagine if you've got a client in for a meeting uh, and, and the room is suddenly filled with red smoke going, what the hell is that? Uh, it's, it's all right. We forgot to clear a, clear a, a template path then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's all sorts of cool things you can do. And I suppose the other thing is, um, whilst this is deadly serious, um, you know, this may not be life and death. It might be, uh, but it is certainly professional. You know, you're getting paid for this stuff. People care deeply. Have a bit of fun with it. You know, make sure that right. um, your CI system is is chatty. Make sure that you've got a genuine traffic light, uh, whatever it happens to be, because this is going to become central to your your development culture. Um, and the best way to get people to buy into this, to to kind of accept ownership of this new system is to actually make it welcoming make it a bit more more fun rather than than very dry and lots of emails and very serious um you you have broken thy build you have thou shall be penalized um cool so um i i kind of have a question for you because i tend to do this stuff um uh, uh based on a, a a subset of tools and i use the same tools all the time because they're the tools i right. use um so if we're using say jenkins or we're using travis do we have similar tooling available to us to handle all of these integrations because it sounds like what we've just talked about is fun but i'm going to spend like three weeks wiring my office for emergency steam and then another four <laughs> weeks finding the microcontrollers right. to actually activate it over the internet so is this kind of stuff all handled for us um in most of the continuous integration platforms that are out there I think so. there, there is a standard way of doing this, which is by webhooks. If this is what, if that's what you mean, is is both 
Jenkins, I'm pretty sure there's a million plugins for Jenkins. So Jenkins will do whatever you want it to do. It'll call workhooks. It'll call other tasks after it. So the other task could be a plugin into Java that, that calls the, the Hue lighting uh controller for example i'm pretty sure travis has got like post commit post build hooks and well the web runs on http right so most of these things have got some way of of calling something once it's done i know deploybot has got beautiful connections into uh everything so you can do a, a pre-commit pre-build webhook and a post-build webhook and you can that way and that seems to be the, the the standard way because it's a simple way right uh unless we went back to the 90s and said that you had to do it via soap or something like that which i don't think would have taken off or corba uh, oh yeah corba of course yeah. okay cool so um yeah so to kind of quickly summarize yeah make sure that you've got this um system emitting information it's really easy to do uh, in all the systems if you happen to be using the only ci system in the world that doesn't have this kind of ability to broadcast or is really restrictive honestly bin it get rid get get one that does um there are plenty out there uh, to choose from there are some that are kind of agnostic platform agnostic um the majority to be honest there are some that are a bit more specific um i know that php has got its own ci system um which is kind of cool i suppose uh because it's if nothing else if your team is is purely php dev then you can pretty much script it in php so you don't have to worry about additional languages or or xml configs or similar but yeah so make sure that the system is in make sure that people are using it make sure that it's um telling you what's going on okay so one of the other projects is drone.io which is i think is very similar to travis i haven't used it have you i guess you haven't heard of it either I haven't, although looking at it, um, I'm kind of surprised I haven't. So there's no hosted version, but basically it's a, it's a continuous integration platform built on container technology. So it's like fully built on container technology. This is one of the things that I have on my to-do list to, to inspect stuff. Uh, and how you do it, as far as I understand, and everyone's going to shout at me in, in, the, in the show notes or afterwards, is basically you put a, a, a drone YML file into your into your project that says i want it to be built like this and i think that's the way a lot of ci engines are now saying because they're becoming um kind of a less agnostic they're just, they basically just say give me the repo and, I, and i'll handle it from there right rather than the jenkins way which is like well let's configure a job and we'll figure out how we're going to do it all of these things are like, give me a repo, and the repo will tell me when it's changed, and I'll build it. And I'll build it by a file that you tell me what to build. So that's how Travis works, as far as I understand it. Yep. And there's the same thing for Drone, which is another one that's coming in, which I need to to check out. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it's, Okay, so this is Drone.io. Yep. Um, and looking at it, we've actually... Um, you know, you've got a couple of interesting things. Firstly, it is built on Docker, and not to go back over... Um, the previous show's ground, but realistically, containerization changes um, CI massively, right? Um, because it does mean that we can actually effectively hand off on the containerization layer a lot of the deployment boilerplate that we would previously have had to have script in. Um, so being able to say, actually, you know, this is the environment that I want to run the tests in, this is the database that I want to run the tests in, and just spin it up, tear it down, um, is made that much cleaner and simpler. 
Um, so yeah, drone.io looks really, really interesting. I will, I too, will be uh, investigating further. They've also got what looks to be quite an interesting um, front-end CI offering. Oh, yeah. So drone UI in the same repo, which looks like it's targeting React at the moment. Okay. Um, we haven't really talked much about the problems facing front-enders. Oh, great. Um, and and front-end testing. Because Webpack. Um, yeah. For, yeah. I, I tried to look into, and this might be for a later show, but. I just tried to look into one thing, and it led me down this path of of yak shaving, because I, I had to, you know, find this other thing, do this other thing, do this other thing, and I was going. I just want to build one component, and before I knew it, uh, yeah, front. No, welcome to the welcome to the universe of front end development right. in in two thousand and seventeen. But the, but but the problem tied to that. Is that how do you test all this stuff? How do you deploy all this stuff? Now you've got all these build tools that you have to use locally on your development environment, but then how do you get that to production ready state? Which is what your CI is meant to be doing, right? That's what your CI will do for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, I suppose all of the tools are there, but effectively, when you do a build, you need to be handling um, both ends, I suppose, to massively oversimplify. Um, but your, you know, your server-side code, your unit tests, and what have you are all good. Presumably, you also have test coverage on all of your front-end stuff. Um, of course you do, right? I don't. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I suck at unit testing JavaScript. It's very hard, actually. Um, uh, that's one of the, the bigger problems that we've had because we, we test all of our server-side code, but then we go into a, a UI code, and it's like in the projects that I'm working, some of them are quite big. So they're like, well, how do you test this? It's like we've got some backbone, we've got some jQuery, we've got some um, React going in, and it's like, yeah, you've got to test it, and there's incongruent versions of, of frameworks and different testing patterns. So yeah, but again, being able to cleanly kind of um, install all of your dependencies and actually make sure that that all works, um, even something as simple as um, JS linting again, you know, just make sure that your JavaScript is is clean and runs. And then realistically, we're kind of into automated front end testing, which is a whole different subject because it's huge. Um, but this is basically things like Phantom JS. This is Selenium, um, allowing you to effectively not worry so much about the the internal of your uh, of your JavaScript's structure, but actually, how does this stuff actually work? So, um, front end definitely has a, a part to play in continuous integration. Um, it is slightly more complicated, I think, and slightly broader, um, and deeper, and wider, uh, and generally harder. And also, if you are listening to this and you have got um, a really successful kind of full stack CI system up and running, please let us know. We would love to talk to you about it. We'd love to hear a bit more about how you've solved these problems because you know we, we, we've all got our own different variants uh, and our own various uh, approaches to this. So if you've got this solved, then yeah, get in touch. How can they do that, Rob? Well, they can send carrier pigeons to... No. Um, the best way to reach us, um, it depends. If you want to do this kind of privately, you can just drop us a good old-fashioned email, show at localhost.fm. Um, if you don't mind um, you know, being a bit more public, then by all means, tweet at localhost.fm. Um, and if you can't remember any of this, then it's all on the website, which is localhost.fm. Which is very easy unless you do a lot of development because you keep on typing localhost and going, I can't find their site. It looks like my site. Yeah, we, we're, we're totally trolling all of our listeners with the name of this podcast. Um, <laughs> localhost.fm, uh, port 3000. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so, um, and uh, also, frankly, if you happen to be consuming this podcast on one of the many, many uh, channels, we're on uh, iTunes, right? Yep. We're on iTunes, yeah, so... we're on all the, all the podcasting repos, which is actually easier and harder than it sounds. You just have to go and tell them that you that you exist, but then you don't get any feedback whether you exist, so you have to download and install and find out if you actually exist on them. But we're everywhere. You can find us everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if the, that particular um, channel, if, you, if you're on iTunes, I don't think you can comment directly, uh, but you can like us. You can give us a rating. I think um, they can. High they, would be good. Yeah, they can review um, us and uh, we'll we'll get notified that you are asking questions. Yeah. If you're listening on SoundCloud or if you're listening on YouTube, there's a comment box right there. Use it. You know, drop in your notes. I know some people have, which kind of brings us neatly onto um, a, a section that I can see in my show notes. Oh. Um, is, it, is there so, a song for this? It's your feedback. It's your feedback. <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to make a song for this but yet. No, you just have to just have to imagine it. Okay, so um, this is uh, obviously, as we said, episode two. Um, prior to this, we had episode one, which was all about Docker, and we had two kind of uh, develop branch episodes um, where we were talking to uh, Jeff and Mark, um, and they were really, really good. And we have feedback. Yes, we have. Which is amazing. Um, so I made a boo-boo in, in episode uh, 001.2, which I said that uh, DigitalOcean, who are awesome, by the way, and you should totally sponsor us, um, Ha- we're actually using AWS's servers. They don't. They're using their own servers. They have servers in Frankfurt and various other areas, which which uh, AWS doesn't. Uh, they have actually London-based servers. You know, AWS actually are in Frankfurt, right? Just before anybody else gets on. on oh on the gosh, horn. right. Um, yeah, I forgot. Just, Sorry, Mark. Just stop talking. Oh, stop well, talking, man. They have one in London. AWS doesn't have one in London. It's in Ireland. Uh, Again, not sure that's strictly accurate, but right. Okay, so what well, the regions? Anyway, they have their own servers. DigitalOcean have their own. <laughs> have I just servers. created more feedback for um, ourselves. Sorry, um, <laughs> um, it's a feedback loop. It's brilliant. Uh, okay, so yeah, uh, thank you to all of those people who corrected uh, us on that point. Please don't feel the need to correct us on our um, lack of knowledge of where AWS actually is. After all, remember, it doesn't matter. It's just the cloud. The cloud, capital T, capital C. Okay, so what else did we get um, in terms of kind of um, feedback? Uh, on... Oh, it was well the Windows containers. It's like Docker for Windows. There is Docker for Windows, and it's got the Windows Server Core, so you can run it. I still, I need to. It's not obvious whether I could run that on on my macOS machine. I think it needs to have the underlying host to be Windows. I don't know. It's the simple answer. I would assume so. But, but Microsoft have a lot of projects there in uh, Docker Hub or hub.docker.com slash u slash Microsoft. You can see a whole bunch of stuff. So they've got IIS containers, Windows containers. So yeah, if you're if your um, uh, host, you know your your deployment environment is Windows, you can you can totally do this. You can totally do the same things that we've been talking about. You just using a different host, and you're using Microsoft tooling which is awesome because, again, this just fits straight into this CI episode because you can, you're can you not limited by the underlying operating system anymore. No, not at all. And that's uh, Justin Carter again. Thank you, Justin, for your feedback there. And he also kind of threw in another point, which I, I agree with. We were talking about, um, talking about Tomcat. We were talking about web access and what have you. Uh, and Justin has uh, mentioned that actually dropping a, a web server container directly in front of, say, Tomcat um, is actually not a bad idea from uh, the perspective of flexibility. 
it's not needed. You don't necessarily get the the massive performance gain, but it does give you um, a lot of stuff that Tomcat either can't do or isn't great at, um, and you know things like SSL termination and rewriting, uh, redirecting. Um, and if you're using, say, Nginx, then you've got a really good solid asset cache and what have you as well. So, right. so um, I would always kind of follow that architectural pattern, I'll be honest. Um, I would nearly always, if it's a web application, I've always got a web server in there somewhere mm-hmm. um, between the, the, the gross general public um, and... And what would you put it um, in, behind the load balancer? So you have the load balancer going to the web servers, going to your app servers. Um, and to be honest, the last project I did um, big deployment for, uh, the web server was the load balancer. Okay, so it was like an Nginx load balancer. Yeah, Nginx was doing the load balancing and the proxying, and it didn't seem really necessary for the load on this particular project to spin up a whole HA proxy. Uh, generally speaking, yeah, there's HA proxy kind of managing stuff. And frankly, if all you need is SSL termination and load balancing, then HA proxy does a pretty a pretty good job of, of kind of being that extra layer and that extra bit of mm-hmm. flexibility. Um, but don't feel that uh, you absolutely have to just expose uh, Tomcat to the web. It's great at it. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Um, but yeah, that additional additional bit of flexibility and customization that you can get can be really useful. One thing that I I, uh, I did part of uh, one of the internal CMD projects this uh, this couple of weeks was was an inter- interesting one because let's say you have a, a database that you need to seed with some data. I was never able to solve that problem quite nicely because I kept on using just one container. So let's say, uh, for simplest sakes, you have a MySQL database as part of your LAMP stack or whatever, and you bring it up in a Docker Compose type type scenario. I never knew how to seed that with initial data, right? Mm-hmm. If you've ever if you've ever had to do that, and I found out the solution or the the clean solution this week is actually to create another container which is a, a MySQL seed container. So actually, you have two containers, your MySQL, the, the, your actual server, and another one that it all, it's also like a MySQL one, but it's just so you get the tools. You don't have to start it up. So you create a Docker file that says, like, import your SQL files, and then you run a command, which is MySQL import, onto your actual main container and then that container dies off because it's done once it's done the the seeding it stops being a server because you've overridden the default command the the default entry point okay yeah and you can do this for for mongodb so i think they call these sidecars i might be completely wrong about this but basically you'll start up at the same time as part of your environment do the load and because you can link it and do depends between them and if you use docker compose especially you can depend so one container can depend on another so therefore the other that one gets uh, started in time and that was a beautiful clean solution that i was like oh a, a kind of the fog disappears you know the fog of war disappears and you go ah i can see clearly now this is a, a good way to do these solve this problem but yeah so that that does a follow up from from our, our fun in the land of container um and there we have final bit of follow up um jeff um, after his interview, did post back saying that um, Docker now has secret secrets management, so you can actually have a vault of sorts that actually manages all your secret keys, and it will inject them as uh, environment variables. I believe I ha- I still have to get work my way through this to make sure that it's all working. So, but we'll put the link in the show notes so you can have a look at how Docker suggests to do that. They actually have a lot of other things happening in there. Um, 
they're holding a whole enterprise ecosystem now. So I think they need to hit the big enterprise. And as part of that would be the secrets management for, for those requirements. That makes sense. I mean, it's it's definitely a requirement in pretty much any project once it gets to a certain point, right? So, Right. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's even simpler. Like, I think I have small projects and you have the API keys. It's like that's how you have to connect to to whatever if it's github or aws you got your aws tokens so you can store your stuff so that's it's not even like a big project let's say a small project that you want to containerize you want to store your stuff in in a permanent storage which this could be s3 now where do you keep your your yeah. your keys right you keep them in your git repo of course so that can people can then at a later stage come find them which is the wrong way to do it you know, you want to keep them in <laughs> as environment variables so they're ephemeral and they just disappear. But uh, this is a good way to to manage that. So you put them into a, a vault and then you give access to your Docker to, to uh, container to access the vault and then you can revoke that access so you're, so you're a little bit more protected. Cool. Um, I have one final thing, and this was just very timely. It kind of crossed my my Twitter stream, um, I think, yesterday. Um, and this is for those of you who haven't listened to the um, talk that we had with Mark. Please do. It's amazing. We're talking about Kubernetes and... No, with Mark yeah, Mandel. I'm sorry. Mark. <laughs> yes, too many Marks. Uh, the chat that we had with Mark Mandel, we were talking about Kubernetes and what have you. Um and off the back of that, I realized I wasn't actually following the Kubernetes project on Twitter, which was an oversight that I've now corrected. Um, they've got some amazing resources that they're, they're slamming out on their blog, uh, blog.kubernetes.io. Um, and the latest one that kind of crossed my mind as like, oh, this is a really nice solution to a problem is um, all about deploying Postgres SQL um, clusters using uh, the new stateful sets feature in uh, Kubernetes 1.5. Um, so go and have a read of that, if only because obviously it's it's a, a fairly brief um, technical overview. It's it, it tells you how to do it, uh, but at the same time, it talks a lot about how you can use stateful sets, how you can use persistent volumes, and how you can solve the kind of pain point that is managing your database servers uh, within Kubernetes as opposed to having to just maintain it externally. So uh, that's a really, really good resource, and I'll try and get that um, in the show notes as well. Gonna have massive show notes this show. They, they're huge, they're huge. And I think that's it. I think it's, uh, this has been an interesting uh, conversation. I think so. Hopefully intelligent and and informed, uh, and hopefully useful. So um, yeah, um, get back to us. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Give us. A, we want to be on the on the cover of iTunes at some point, right? If do, do we do something if we get on the cover of iTunes? Should we incentivize? We this? just get loads of traffic, but <laughs> no, we get loads of traffic. I'm thinking like you know, you know we'll we'll pose for a, a, the local host FM naked calendar or something. God no, that's a terrible idea. That's going to be like, what? That's a terrible <laughs> idea. Well, I'll take pictures of my puppies and make a make a, a local host puppy calendar. There, there we go. That's a much better plan. Much you have, better your, plan. Your, your puppies, my cats. There we go. We'll do the cute animal local host FM calendar if we get on the cover of, of iTunes. Yeah. Even um, if it's on the yeah. what's hot, we don't care. Just, yeah. just rate us. Yeah. If you, um, off the back of this, uh, if you have any questions or, of course, corrections, uh, anything that we've talked about today, then uh, please do uh, let us know. Uh, say comment, email, tweet. Um, and it's all localhost FM or some variant thereof. Um, you should be able to work it out. Um, and likewise, if this has inspired you to kind of um, actually um, 
take the plunge and and actually spin up CI and what have you. We'd love to hear how that goes for you. Um, and and yeah, stories from the trenches always very very welcome here on localhost FM. Oh, before we forget, we have one story from the trench. Uh, Robert Rawlins, he works for a thing called Sor- um, Sorry App, which is a uh, status update. So you can see um, the downtime with a great status page. You can see that, you know, you can attach it to your application if you've got downtime. And uh, he sent us a little story from the from the from the trenches says he's changed the way he works he finds myself trickling a constant stream of stuff into production rather than fewer bigger deploys there you go stories from the trenches we love them send them to the show at localhost fm and this is it we want to hear about your trickles of stuff oh dear no no (laughs) on that note on that note thank you i've been mark drew and i've been rob dudley good day